Yeah, hi, Dale Skinner. Uh, 42 from uh, Albury Bodonga, the Victorian side, the better side. Um, I uh, Look, I love umpiring uh, in the local Aussie Rules competition. I also enjoy um, uh, spending time with my uh, my daughter and my three, my three stepchildren and two grandchildren. Uh, but, yeah, look, super passionate about uh, the black dog and, and have a tattoo of my uh, forearm to prove it. And I've always done fundraising and sponsorship and stuff with sports and uh, sporting clubs and all that uh, all my life. So I've been involved in that sort of stuff and I thought, well, I wanted to contribute more um, to the Institute and um, I sort of and, – and it's one of the things when you have a bipolar high is you have a lot of ideas and a lot of things, oh, I should do this, I should do that, I should do this. Most of them don't actually come to fruition. Um, and I remember that um, I was on a, um, I was having, I was on a on a high, and um, I said to a couple of friends, "Oh, I'm going to run, um, I'm going to run from uh, Albury to Sydney to Black Dog." No, no, you won't do that. You'll never do that. And it sort of sat in the back of my mind that, it, and it sort of annoyed me. I'm, I'm not, I don't like people that tell me I can't do things. So it sort of sat in the back of my mind, and so that got me thinking and. And so I went and seen um, a doctor because I've had knee issues in my life. I went and seen the doctor, the, uh, the doctor that I had seen for a while. Said, "This is what I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to run from Albury to Sydney." And he said, "Oh, well, you can do it. But if you do it, you probably never walk again." Um, I said, "Okay, no worries." And um, and then so I left, and I was really dejected, and and um, yeah, I thought, well, you know, like, what else am I going to do? And the doctor actually emailed me and said, oh, well, why don't you ride? Um, and I'd never been a rider. I'd never been a cyclist. Um, so I said, oh, okay, no worries. We'll give that a go. And um, so, yeah, it all started from there. And, and um, I got a group of friends and we sort of did some brainstorming about what we're going to call it. And, and I told them what the concept was. And the concept was that, um, you know, like like cycling, um, you know, mental illness, that, yes, you can get all the help you like. You know, you can get you know, the best bike, you can get, you know, first aid, you can get training, you know, you can get all the help you like, just like in mental health, you can get best doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, but at the end of the day, you're the one that's got to do it. So I'm the one that had to ride, I'm the one that had to ride up the hills, I'm the one that had to ride down the hills, I'm the one that had to ride through the pain and all that sort of stuff. And it's the same with mental health, so that was the concept. So we end up coming up with ride of choice. Um, I'm lucky enough that I know some people that are... Um, you know, quite well known. So we had, you know, trivia night. We had some sportsmen's nights to raise money, and and not only did it raise money, it was starting a lot of conversations, and and that's when the money sort of didn't become as important because of the conversations that were happening and the amount of people that were saying, you know, because of that, that I'm now going to see a doctor. So that became a really important aspect of it as well. Um, you know, in the end, it was it was nice. Mum and Dad sort of did the support vehicle. Um, uh, it was interesting because I don't think my mum and dad have ever spent that much time together um, for a long time, for, you know, six days in a car. But, you know, we, we had some really good conversations with people along the way as well, um, you know, where we'd stop different places or a lot of the times mum and dad would get pulled over um, by strangers and they'd give money or they'd have a conversation. You know, it, it was really worth it. it um, you know, it's something that, 
you know, I'm I'm quite proud of it. It's something I'd love to do again, uh, but it was something I was proud with. And you know, look along the way, you know, I, I had Black Dog support all the time. You know, the fundraising team were ringing me regularly, saying, "You know, what can we do? You know, do you need anything?" Um, you know, to to finish there at the institute and have you know probably fifteen or twenty people, including Helen, um, at the at the finish line. Um, you know, was was pretty special. So, um, yeah, look, it's something that I'm I'm sort of quite proud of. I don't recall ever being introduced to mental health. It was never discussed at school. Um, I don't really ever recall it being discussed. Uh, until you know, I sort of started to struggle, and I didn't even know then that that's what it was. Um, so it wasn't really until you know I'd heard the terms depression and and stuff float around and stress and you know, uh, but I didn't sort of at no stage that I sort of you know associate that with with me or or when I was experiencing depression. I didn't you know link that to you know, the, how I was feeling. So it wasn't until, you know, I went to the doctor for that first uh, that first time and had that first diagnosis of, of depression um, that I really then, and even then I sort of didn't take much notice of it. I, I, I sort of, you know, like a lot of people said, oh, well, okay, now I know what it is. And he gave me some tips on, you know, managing my life better. So I tried to do those and, uh, you know, and they, they didn't work. So... Uh, and the, the difficult thing there is, I was in a very small town. So the, the first person, the first time I noticed, I went to um, a GP in in, uh, in Seymour, and he was quite well known in Seymour. There, there wasn't a lot of GPs. He had a lot to do with the football club that I was involved with. So there was that fear too of going there, and, and you know, doctors obviously, you know, confidentiality, but there was a fear that. You know, seeing him, it might get out. Uh, he might say something to somebody else, or he might say something to me in public in front of other people. Um, so it's seen a local one, and then by time I um, went again, sort of twenty one, twenty two. Um, I was living in Shepparton, so um, yeah, went and seen a GP again uh, in Shepparton. He was a little bit more educated, I think, than the, the first one, but. Um, yeah, he still wasn't, you know, the, the, the information given to me around it wasn't great. So that's when I started my own sort of personal crusade, I suppose, of, of educating myself. I, I wanted to educate myself because I didn't know what was happening and, and, and I didn't really get an explanation from the doctors as to what was happening or why it was happening. Um, so that's why I sort of thought, well, I need to understand what's going on because at that point in time it was impacting on my first marriage. So I, I needed to understand what was going on. Um, so that's, yeah, that sort of brought me into doing some my own research. And it wasn't, it was quite difficult to to find information that wasn't just purely negative and, and terrifying. It was hard to find information that was just, you know, basic information without any um, 
without any influences or anything like that. So it took me a while. But as I sort of, as I learnt more and more and more, and I learnt more about my own illness and I learnt more about my behaviours and and so as a result of that over a sort of the, the space of, you know, five to six years and, and, a, and a couple of other minor attempts in my life, I, I realised that there was a good chance that the diagnosis wasn't correct. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know, you know, reading what I was going through and what I was experiencing didn't match with, you know, with depression. Um, but I wasn't having, you know, hallucinations. I wasn't psychotic or, you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel as though I was, you know, in danger or hurt, in danger of hurting someone else. So, you know, it was really tricky um, knowing what was happening. So I was, I was first diagnosed or correctly diagnosed with bipolar 28. Uh, and that was, uh, so as I previously said, after doing a lot of my own research and, and um, I, I knew something wasn't right. I wasn't sure whether it was bipolar. Um, or whether it was um, personality disorder uh, or what it was. The information was very confusing. Um, and, and, like, when you don't have a clear mind, and I didn't have a clear mind because of my depression, it's quite easy to read into things and, and read a description about, you know, personality disorder and say, oh, yep, that's me, or read a description about this say, yep, that's me. So... I knew I had to, um, this was more than just a GP. Um, I had seen some counsellors during that period as well, um, and I didn't find them necessarily overly successful. Um, and I think a lot of that's attributed to the fact that you know, I hadn't been diagnosed correctly um, and my medication wasn't right because I hadn't been diagnosed correctly. So that's when I started. There was a name that kept coming up in in a lot of the research that I was doing, and that was Professor Tiller. Um, and so I sort of looked him up, and and he was um, some sort of renowned expert in in um, in mental health, um, in sort of the next level up um, from depression and and other illnesses. So. I went to my GP and said, look, I need a referral to see this guy. He was in Melbourne. I was living in Shepparton at the time. So I got the referral and, and went up there. And, it, you know, I can still remember the day, you know, in stepping into his office. I was terrified stepping into his office, um, you know, this massive building. And I didn't know what what was going to happen. I didn't know whether I was going to go up there and he was going to say, you know, you're going to have to be hospitalised for the rest of your life, you know, all these extreme, ridiculous thoughts are going through my head that are completely irrational. Um, and then I went in there and, and he sort of read a little bit, I could see him reading a little bit about the doctor's reports and and he, and he and like he said, he said, oh, so you you have different moods and they go, your moods would go really up, you'd be happy one minute and you'd be sad the next. And, you know, when you're happy, you know, you've got, your thoughts are going 100 mile an hour and, you know, you don't need to sleep, you know, you, you just, you, you're crazy and you feel like you're jumping off the walls and and um, and then when you're depressed, you know, you, you don't want to eat and you don't want to get out of bed and, and in the first 15 minutes of this, this appointment, he's described my 
you know, life and the way I've been, you know, in, in 15 minutes, you know, and it just, I was so relieved after that. I didn't care what he said after that. It was just, you know, a massive relief to hear somebody describe my feeling, my feelings and what I've been going through without me actually telling him. So that I was diagnosed with that, that with, with bipolar type 2 at that point. And, and not only that, did he not only did he diagnose me, he gave me a really simple, um, you know, description and basically that he didn't go necessarily into full detail about, um, you know, the, the medical side of things. He just said, he said, okay, so you're going to have up moods and down moods. He said, when you're up moods, you're going to have this, 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 this. When you're down moods, you're going to have this, 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 you know. What the idea of the medication is is to try and get you in the in between there and to try and keep your level. You're still going to have ups and downs. Um, so it, the the description that he gave me was you know really simple. So I walked out of there. You know I wasn't scared anymore. I knew it was still going to be a struggle. I knew you know my life wasn't going to be you know smooth sailing. But I had. Yeah, I had some information in my pocket that, you know, that was was going to be beneficial for me. Well, it, it's really important that, that we all have the right um, the right diagnosis um, because if we don't have the right diagnosis, number one, you know, any treatment that we're going to get from doctors or that is going to be incorrect. Um the other thing is, is if you, you get a diagnosis, like I was diagnosed with depression, and so you'd read about depression. You go, "This is these are the symptoms. These are what you know I'm going to be experiencing with depression." But then you're experiencing all these other extremes um, from that. It, it just conf- not only does it confuse you, it makes you feel worse. It makes you feel more isolated. It makes you fear, um, you know what life what life's going to have it also gives you it reduces your confidence in doctors um, because what they've diagnosed you with is completely different to what you're what you're feeling so it can reduce your confidence in in doctors and and the medical uh, the medical fraternity uh, which obviously if, if that occurs and it's extremely dangerous if you're not being treated in any sense but I mean, even for, for if you're not being medicated, if you're looking at uh, you know other therapies, and and there are lots of other therapies around in mindfulness and and um, you know and well-being and and that sort of thing. If you don't have the correct diagnosis, then how do you know which area you need to focus on, uh, which area you need to try and improve or, or strengthen uh, if, if it's well-being related to strengthen your well-being well-being. The other, the other uh, concept too is is how you explain that to other people. Uh, if you're if you want to explain what you're going through and you want to explain it to other people, uh, it can be really difficult. And if you're trying to explain it to say a teacher uh, or a boss uh, and you don't understand it, it can quite often seem as though you you know you're sort of making things up, which then uh, obviously creates a really indifferent relationship between uh, yourself and, and that, that figure.
there's two main types of bipolar, bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. Bipolar 1, you may know as... Um, as what it used to be referred to as manic depression. So the difference between bipolar and depression is that bipolar has extreme highs and um, and the depressive episode. So um, often referred to as a roller coaster effect or, or oscillating moods. So bipolar one, the mood, the highs in bipolar one are extreme, often um, associated with psychosis, hearing voices, seeing things, that sort of that type of thing, and that that. The behaviour often puts themselves or other people in harm. Bipolar type two, which which is what I have, the highs aren't as high. Um, I often sort of refer them to like a hyperactive kid. Um, you're annoying. You don't stop talking. You got heaps of energy. Um, so there's still that little bit of risk taking behaviour and that little bit of probably not thinking through things. Uh, you just go ahead and and act on things without thinking, but often bipolar 2 isn't uh, isn't as dangerous as bipolar 1. Both types of bipolar will require uh, medication, um, and that with medication there's also other therapies and stuff that you can utilise to, to help manage uh, the illness. So treatment-wise, from that diagnosis, uh, I was given medication. Uh, I was given the scripts from from Professor Tiller at that point in time, but but he also gave me uh, lots of links and lots of um, things to read about my illness and also about the different medications. He he told me that the the medications that that he gave me might not work. Uh, he really set up good, clear expectations that that this medication might not work, but there is other medications out there. And he encouraged me to go and research all those medications to know what side effects there are. So if I'm experiencing these side effects, I can go back to the GP and explain that I'm experiencing these, we may have to swap it, that sort of thing. So he put a lot of my treatment back into my hands, which I wasn't grateful for at the time because um, I sort of thought you know, that he was just palming me off or that, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to get support from, from doctors. But, um, yeah, as I sort of went on and, and like now, I, you know, I realise how much of a, um, a blessing it was that he sort of gave me that power because I still do that today. I still research my medication if I ever need to change or if I'm, you know, often with bipolar medication, it can sort of run its course, so to speak. So I'm... I'm aware of you know different side effects that may happen, and, and regularly talk to my doctors about you know perhaps a slight increase here for a period of time, or decrease here, or or a change up. So he gave me that that power, which um, you know I'll be forever grateful for. Um, but the the big thing I think is it wasn't a, a medication thing. I walked away, um, you know, and, and that was in Melbourne, so it was a a four-hour drive back to Shepparton and, and a lot went through my mind in that period uh, and I think that the biggest thing that went through my mind in that period was was ownership um, and and a healthy anger, a healthy anger that, you know, this sort of stuff goes on because he told me at that point in time, you know, the, the average time span from initial diagnosis of depression to correct diagnosis was 15 years at that time uh, and what that meant for people. 
and I knew what I'd gone through in, you know, only sort of, you know, six or seven years. So um, what other people had gone through in 15 years was, was frightening. So I was a little angry at, at that, but I had a sense of ownership and a sense of determination to to sort of say, you know, okay, this is, this is not good enough. This is not going to continue to happen. I'm going to... I'm going to find out everything I can about this, and 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 that probably started started me on my journey to to where I am now in terms of with um, my role with Black Dog. It, it you know it gave me a determination to say, right, well, no one else is gonna no one else is gonna go through what I've gone through, which is probably a little bit naive when I think about it, but um, but yeah, it was education is the best medication for me anyway. Why bipolar medication is, or why any medication is so important to bipolar type 2 is because the highs in bipolar, because they're not extreme, you're not hurting anyone, uh, you're, not anno- you're just annoying, they feel great. So often what will happen is, is people will um, go when they're, when they're depressed and they'll get uh, medication if they've been lucky enough to be diagnosed correctly straight up, they'll get medication, they'll take the medication, and then they'll have a bipolar high, um, and they think, oh, I'm great now, I'm fixed, I'm fine, they go off the medication. Uh, we see a lot even with people with depression, um, the people take it, then feel fine, they go off their um, uh, medication, which you know, an instant withdrawal of, of medication, especially medication that is um, helps your mind uh, and your mental well-being, you know, can have you know, it can have tragic consequences. To to put it bluntly, um, but yeah, it's it's really not a good way to go. And I, and I think a lot of that then comes back to you know doctors um, and chemists as well in in making sure that people have the information that they need and that they realise how serious it is and how important it is to read that information about their medication. Um, but once again, it's also about education um, for, for, for everyone and, and it's something that probably isn't talked about enough uh, around medication and, and that that healthy balance for bipolar, especially that healthy balance of of, uh, of good versus evil or high versus low in terms of medication, lifestyle, um, you know, and all the other stresses that, that go along with, with life. So I manage my mental health in, in a number of ways and and at first, I want to I want to say, you know, look, yes, I've been dealing with it for a long time. I'm fortunate enough that I'm, you know, I consider myself fairly well educated in my illness, but in mental illness overall. But that doesn't make it necessarily any easier uh, to manage mental illness. Um, I have bad periods and I have good periods. When I'm when I'm going well, I'm exercising regularly. I'm eating well. I'm communicating, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people um, and, and aspects in my life are, are going well. Uh, I used to think that, um, you know, everything in my life had to be going perfectly, um, otherwise I, I couldn't be well and, and that sort of thought process would invade my mind, so to speak, and, and would impact my well-being. So I, I've learnt that, you know, 
not every aspect of your life has to be going perfectly to be um, mentally well um, or physically well, um, but it's about managing those those situations. It's about looking at, okay, what are the problems in those situations? Can I control them? Um, you know, are they out of my control? And it's not not always easy to to accept what is and what isn't out of your control. And and it's a bit of a trial and error sometimes where you might try something and then realise it's out of your control. I mean, I'm at the moment I'm extremely lucky that um, you know, apart from the, the current uh, climate and around the world. My uh, my well being and, and the different aspects in my life are, are fantastic. So it, it helps when that's the case. So it is important to, to balance my medication with you know other other um, other different therapies. I do um, sleep is a, is one issue that that I have problems with. So you know I've learned to do um, meditation, um, which doesn't necessarily help me sleep all the time but what it does it just relaxes my body so I still get that rejuvenation overnight um, that I'm not exhausted and frustrated and angry like I used to be because I couldn't sleep Um, so that you know meditation helps it also helps during the day um, if I'm you know frustrated or stressed or agitated uh, I can quite often get agitated for no reason um, which is part of the illness so I'll often just you know um, uh, just take myself away from my desk at work, slip into a, a carer's room or a, we have a well-being room and just lie down or sit there, stick some, you know, uh, meditation music off on my phone and just there for, you know, five or ten minutes just to clear my head, refocus and then I can go back in um, and, and get back to work, exercise again. It's it's a big one. I know when I'm not exercising, I, I sort of struggle mentally. Um, so exercise for me is a is a big one, um, and it's something that I've probably fallen away a bit, you know, recently. So, uh, like I said, it, it's not easy. Managing well-being is not easy, but it's not hard. It's just getting patterns, getting, you know, doing it regularly, and also, and I say to a lot of people that. It's important to put in those practices of good well-being activities when you're well because when you're not well, it, they're really hard to, to do. So if you do them when you're well and you get a routine up, they're a lot easier to do when you're not well. I use e-mental health resources probably not as much as what I should. Um, I think the amount of time that we spend on our phones and stuff we probably should use those tools more uh, I do use them uh, I often use um, my compass uh, and just I, I use a lot to sort of assess my current moods where I sort of don't think I can sort of figure out what they are um, if I once again if I get agitated or if I feel a bit low um, you know I'll look at things that can assess what my current mood is uh, and then they'll, they'll give you some tips to sort of you know try and work your way through it um, so they're the ones that I, I often use one of the important ways of, of managing my mental health but also helping others which if I help others it helps me as well is is being involved with with support groups support groups 
are really important, I think, and I've touched before on, on consumers, and I think that's where support groups uh, really help consumers. I was uh, involved in a, in a group in, in Albury-Wodonga, um, and um, and it was it was specific for for bipolar, um, and so what we what we started was just, we started off as only four of us, um, and then from there we sort of having Friday afternoon fortnightly um, group sessions. And so as we sort of went along, we got more and more and more people joining, and and you know we found that a lot of the questions and information that they were were asking were were there was a theme to them all and they were very repetitive for, for people so that's when we started looking at getting in experts from um, from the local community to come in and talk to to the group of us about um, about the, the things that were concerning people uh, and it, it wasn't just necessarily specific to, to mental health it was around housing it was around you know Centrelink payments is around legal stuff um, it was you know we had chemists in so because people that are going through um, a mental health crisis find it difficult to to make decisions and to try and you know search that minefield of information that's out there to try and get the right information that suits them so these people are able to ask specific questions of of the experts um so we really you know we we're really providing a specific service but as well as those experts we're able to have conversations with ourselves and people are able to ask each other oh this is my problem this week has anyone else dealt with it um I was fortunate enough to, I suppose, because of my my work background, uh, my life background, I was able to sort of be the um, the the chair of most of the meetings and sort of direct a lot of the the conversations. And um, you know, so it was a real privilege um, to be able to do that. Um, the group sort of um, because of some illnesses within the group, it it um, it, it did fall away. But before we um, before it sort of disbanded, we did organise quite, a, and this is a couple of years ago now, we did organise a bipolar um, evening where Jan actually um, came to Aubrey and, and spoke. Um, we had another gentleman uh, who's a consumer, he come and spoke, I spoke at it. Um, and we, we really gave people the opportunity to ask questions, but because there's there's little known around bipolar and especially bipolar type 2 there's little little known about it so uh, the feedback we got from that evening you know was was just phenomenal it was inspirational um, and it was really you know heartwarming we put a lot of work into it um, and the, the feedback that we got from that um, from that evening was was really really good and and you know obviously Jan well no, Jan Jan was just a brilliant speaker on the night and um, and even you know, I I learnt a lot uh, from that night from listening to Jan's uh, presentation. So, look, support groups. I can't speak highly enough of them. Um, I know there's one that they're trying to start one up again here um, that I'm trying to help with. Um, it's just difficult because a lot of margarine work hours. But you know, I strongly encourage people. You know, don't 
when you think about support groups, don't think of Alcoholics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous. You know, go along, give them a go. If they're not for you, then that's fine. But you know, I really encourage people. And if there's not one around, and and you've got the the confidence that you know, and the resources, you know, try and start one up. So the story of me with the Institute sort of goes back um, a long way. I um, My stepdaughter was going to school and there was um, they were doing a reading of a book called um, Walking the Black Dog and it was by Ingrid Barr. And um, so she was doing the reading and the book's about explaining mental health to, to younger younger kids. And... Um, so my wife knew that I sort of I had an interest in um, the mental health space and she said, oh, you know, we should go along. So we went along and she talked about what she does, that she was an advocate for mental health. And, you know, and as she's talking, you know, because I've already thought about this stuff and thought, you know, this is what I want to do. So I went and spoke to Ingrid after the after she'd finished speaking and, and I went up to her straight away. I said, I want to do what you do. And... Um, and she said, what do you mean? I said, I want to be a mental health advocate. How do I be a mental health advocate? And she said, oh, you'll need to go to uni and do this and this and this. And I said, I don't want to go to uni. I said, I don't want a piece of paper that says, you know, I've learnt about mental health. Um, I want to talk to people about my story. I want to talk to people and, and share my insights and, and grow with people and learn as I learn and, and talk to them as I learn. Um, and she said, oh, you could, um, you know, try the Black Dog Institute. And so the next day I went back to work and, and sent an email through, um, you know, explaining, you know, who I was, what I wanted to do. Um, I hadn't heard of the Black Dog before then. Um, I emailed um, Black Dog and then I think, you know, that afternoon I, I got an email back um, from Sarah. Um, you know, she said, have you got time to talk? Um, so we spoke on the phone um, that day. And I think the next day um, she had, um, you know, there was an email come through with flight details to, to go to Black Dog um, to do the training. So you know, I was super excited. So um, got to Sydney and I think it was actually from memory, it was the um, second, it was on a Wednesday, it was the second day of the state of origin, I believe. Um, um only retention rough. I do actually know the date. It was the 17th of June, 2011, and I know that because it's tattooed on my arm. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, I went down there, and then I think there was about 10 of us in the in the room. I was the first presenter outside of um, Sydney, and I was the pr- first presenter outside of New South Wales, and we were the first group, the new design and the new look um uh, volunteer program and, and training session that was a two-day one for us and so yeah sort of from then um, then on uh, in terms of being a presenter uh, look uh, there has not been one point in time where I've thought oh, I don't want to do this anymore or I'm uh, not getting supported um it's probably the opposite. There's been a lot of times where I'm thinking I'm not doing enough. Um, I need to do more presentations. So I think I've done. Um, uh, it'd be, be probably pushing 130 now. I think. Um, so it'd be 120, 130. I think. Um, so it was an honour to to do rack up the the hundredth presentation um, early or late last year. I can't speak highly enough of you know how much 
what the institute's done for me and and look and it's taken me a long time to accept that you know part of that is because of what I do because um, I don't necessarily like all the, the accolades and the compliments and all that sort of stuff I don't sort of take them well but um, yeah and and the all the other roles that I've picked up you know with Black Dog over the years has been uh, been fantastic so it's nine years in June this year will be nine years so you know it's I'm, I just I can't be any prouder of of you know what I'm doing and and uh, how good the the institute is look at I'd say I'd make no secret about the fact that um, I, I don't know what state I'd be in if it wasn't for for Black Dog um, and the work that I do with them and the support and and just the, the whole organisation. You know, when anyone new joins on, you know, I get an email from them and and they tell me that. Um, you know, my name's mentioned a lot there and, you know, which is a bit embarrassing, but um, they don't say whether it's for good reasons or bad, but they say that's it's mentioned. Um, but so, yeah, I I, um, I just I, I love the logo so much. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I had been thinking about it for a while, about getting a tattoo. And, and um, so, yeah, I think it was last year I um, I went and got it done and, and – um, when I explain to, because it's not something you, you see every day, and when I explained it to the girl that was doing it, um, she gave me $50 off, so that's another benefit. I could never remember the date that I started, so I thought, well, let's get the date that I started, um, you know, put on it. So, you know, even if for whatever reason, if I'm not with the Institute anymore, which I hope that never happens, you know, that's always there as a conversational piece. And, and you know, that's the other reason it's there. It's, you know, people are going to look at it and say, what's that? 